Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series. Our spotlight is on leadership. I recently got to go down south and participate in some of the Selma to Montgomery marches and festivities and voters' rights participation events. And I thought that it would be great to talk to a public servant, somebody who was inspired at the age of 12 to get involved in helping to make a difference in his community. He's the first mayor of Tuskegee, Alabama, but he's also been a councilman, an ambassador, a senator, legislator, and he is also the founder of the World Conference of Mayors. His name is Johnny Ford. He was inspired in that inspiration of wanting to make a difference in his community and working on the principles with the late Dr. Martin Luther King and working on the election of former senator and presidential candidate Bobby Kennedy in 1968. Helped him to come to the realization that he needed to go home and make a difference in his community after the death of Martin Luther King, which we are on the eve of his transition, April 4th, and Bobby Kennedy, he and other civil rights leaders like the late John Lewis and David Dinkins and many others, they decided to go home and make a difference in their local communities and through that help make a difference that's being able to help Public servants serve up and down the ballot, no matter what party affiliation. Johnny Ford talks about not only those times and what King was fighting for, in the end, employment rights for black men and justice for everyone and equal rights. We're doing those same things today if you look at the headlines in the news. Voting rights. The Emmett Till anti-lynching bill just passed. But there's a lot to look forward to in this wonderful interview with Johnny and I. And we're coming at you right now. I want to talk to you today about your interesting career. You are a councilman. You've been uh, a senator, a mayor more than several times. And I know that uh, you now an ambassador. An ambassador, wow. Yeah, appointed by the Prime Minister of the State of the African Diaspora. Awesome. So, uh, I am just an humble servant. Amen, amen. And uh, we met at a, uh, one of the late John Conyers events on health care. Yes, yes. Uh, at, at the, he's at my the King good. Royal? He, he was your friend? Yes, yes. Right. No, not only my friend, my fraternity brother. He was a proud Kappa, uh, the Honorable John Conyers, and just such a great leader. We worked together on international issues, and of course, as you know, he uh, sponsored just so much um, um, legislation that benefited uh, our country, our nation, uh, and the world. Amen. How did your... Your journey start in public service. 
Well, we are we're working we're working on a play now. As a matter of fact, uh, called Run Johnny Run. It's called the Train, and it talks about the time when I was 13 years old. We had to peep through the fence and watch the little white boys and girls playing uh, in the swimming pool, swimming in the swimming pool. We couldn't get into the public park. Instead, we had to go swim in the swimming hole. And uh, before we could actually swim in the swimming hole, we had to run the water moccasins, the snakes, out of the swimming hole first. But at any rate, I remember looking through the fence at the white boys and girls. We were locked out of the public park, and I remember seeing on uh, the big stone gate a bronze plaque that said, Mayor Frank Carr. And I remember saying to my colleagues who were there, Sonny and and and, uh, and Dieter and Carver and some of the others who were there, I said, you know, I see the name Mayor Frank Carr. The mayor of this town must be a powerful dude, and I use that term, if he can keep us out of this park. One day, I want to be mayor of Tuskegee, Alabama, so we can open up this park so that all of the children, black and white, can swim in the swimming pool, can play baseball on the field, and enjoy this park. And and my colleagues looked at me and said, uh, with, they used the N-word, say, you crazy, man. You never become mayor of Tuskegee. But at any rate, <laughs> 13 years old, um, I don't know whether or not I was serious or not, but that stuck in the back of my mind. And uh, after the death of Senator Bobby Kennedy, first um, Martin Luther King Jr. had been killed uh, in April. And then in June, uh, those of us who were working with Senator Kennedy at the time, myself, Earl Graves, John Lewis, uh, David Dinkins, who became mayor of New York, and Charles Evers, who became mayor of Fayette, Mississippi, uh, Jay Cooper, who became mayor of Pritchard, Alabama, and yours truly. And I have the signatures of all four of those mayors, uh, David Dinkins and John Lewis, of course, who became a congressman. But I was the only young guy going around getting signatures on June 4th uh, in Los Angeles, um, and uh, we we talked about going back to our respective communities and running for office, getting involved in politics. David Dinkins went back to New York and became mayor of New York. John Lewis went back to uh, Georgia and became a congressman first, a city council member first in Atlanta. And Charles Evers went back to Fayette, Mississippi, became the first black mayor of a biracial city uh, in Mississippi. And yours truly, I came back to Tuskegee, Alabama, and was elected the first African-American mayor in the history of Tuskegee, Alabama. But all of us, we were together with Bobby Kennedy when he was killed there in California. And, And it was on that long flight back across America uh, that I made the decision instead of going back to New York where I was at that time and it, I decided that instead, uh, Martin Luther King was gone, Bobby Kennedy was gone, 
if I wanted to really uh, make a difference in this country, I can't depend upon those leaders. I've got to get involved myself, and I've got to follow my true destiny, which is something that I talked about when I was only 13 years old. I'm going to go back down south to Alabama, to Tuskegee, and run for mayor of Tuskegee, Alabama. And i never forget uh, talking to one of our co colleagues there with the New York Times at that time, saying, uh, telling him that I was going to go back to Alabama. He said, man, you again, uh, use the N-word, you're crazy. You think you're going to go back to Alabama and do that. But at any rate, I did, came back to Alabama and was elected. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, what, what was the climate like at that time? Well, it was uh, it was hostile. You know, you're talking about 19. Well, first of all, my boyhood friend, Sammy Young, was shot down in 1966 and becoming the first black student at Tuskegee University, becoming the first college student to die in the civil rights movement. My mother worked for the Young family, and Sammy and I became good friends. And as a result of Sammy Young being killed in 1966, that started a movement in Alabama, voting registration and voter education, get out to vote. The students uh, rose up and marched on downtown Tuskegee, and we got involved in voter registration and elected the first black sheriff in the history of uh, of uh, Tuskegee, Alabama. And uh, and then in 1970, we elected the first two blacks to the Alabama legislature. I was a campaign manager for Attorney Fred Gray, who was a campaign who was a lawyer for Rosa Parks and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I was his campaign manager. And then in 1972, you asked what the climate was. It was my time to run for mayor of Tuskegee. And I did. The climate was hostile for any black who ran for office. As a matter of fact, my buddy, uh, uh, Robert Burden, in his car, we carried a, uh, for a shotgun in the back. <laughs> we had our own gun in the back of the car because it was just that dangerous at that time. And all kinds of threats, uh, uh, you know, were upon us. But we ran and we ran and of course we were successful. And of course you needed to have security back in those days, but that was a way of life. Wow. And for those yeah. people who don't understand, um, Integrate, well, segregated to integrated times, it did take a transition and in more than a few years for people to get comfortable. I remember my gran and my dad saying one of the last schools that they knew of in Alabama was integrated in 19, late 1969 to early 1970. Wow. And that, that is, um, a little late in the game, but it did happen. So when you're talking about 1972 and the early 70s, Alabama's now seeing their first senators and Congress people. Uh, was Alvin Holmes there when you were there? Alvin Holmes. 
Alvin Holmes, my good Kappa mm-hmm. brother and good friend, Alvin Holmes. Uh, he and I marched together in, in 1976, I think. Uh, uh, Alvin sponsored the first piece of legislation uh, calling for naming a street in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, we worked on that issue of getting the Confederate flag down over the state capitol. But Alvin Holmes uh, was the longest-serving member of the Alabama legislature, uh, African-American leader, okay? Wow. And that was 1974, right? Uh, for, for 1972 is when I was elected to... Right. Um, but the first... Uh, legislator was before Alvin Holmes. That was attorney Fred Gray and Thomas Reed, and they were elected in 1970. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. But what was the school that you were talking about that got integrated, that you were talking about? You said your... Chilton County. In full... Chilton County Training School. Okay. In, In Georgia... No, that that's out in Clinton. Okay, but great. Alabama. All right, outstanding. Okay, got all right. Wonderful. Go right ahead. Now, did you go, go right to ahead. Rosenwald School? Oh, I'm glad you mentioned Rosenwald Schools because it was Booker T. Washington. Okay, mm-hmm. along with Mr. Rosenwald, who established more than what. Uh, 4,000, well, I mean, the schools all over the South, in particular in Alabama. And one of the first Rosenwald schools was right here in, in Macon County, Tuskegee. Rosenwald also, who was the head of Sears, also served on the board uh, at Tuskegee University and was here. And, of course, he worked uh, with um, Book T. Washington in establishing these Rosenwald schools. Uh, my, my first elementary school was Washington Public, named in honor of Booker T. Washington. And, uh, uh, it was not a Rosenwald school per se, but we had a building on campus at Washington Public that was, was modeled after the Rosenwald schools that were built all over the South, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you went to mostly segregated at that time. You would have had to. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I attended, as I said, what my elementary school was Washington Public School. Uh, and, of course, the, the schools were segregated in Macon County where I grew up. And uh, it was uh, the, the case Lee versus Macon, filed by Attorney Fred Gray, Anthony Lee, uh, and, uh, about 13 students, black students, integrated Tuskegee Public School, which was a white, uh, school, uh, all white school. And, and everybody knows about George Wallace standing in the schoolhouse door at the University of Alabama. Well, he first made that stand to block integrating the schools at our school, at Tuskegee Public here in uh, in Macon County uh, to prevent uh, the black students from integrating the schools. So the case Lee versus Macon, which led to the integration of schools throughout the state of Alabama uh, and uh, elsewhere, 
started right here in Tuskegee and in Macon County, in this county. Okay, but I attended mm-hmm. Washington Public, and I'm a graduate of Tuskegee Institute High School, which is the greatest high school in the world, as far as we're <laughs> concerned. And uh, then I went on to, uh, I had an academic scholarship and later a football scholarship to attend Knoxville College, which is an HBCU in Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to go to Tuskegee University, but my dad said no football, so I slipped away and went to Knoxville College so I could play football without his knowing it. And he didn't know I was playing football until Knoxville came home to play Tuskegee University. Okay. <laughs> and uh, by then, uh, he was so proud of, of the fact he went all over town telling everyone, come see his boy play football. But at any rate, so yes, I attended those uh uh segregated schools, Washington Public, Tuskegee Institute High School. And then I went to Knoxville College, which actually uh was became an integrated. Uh Knoxville College was is a very historic HBCU and was well integrated with students uh uh from all over the world as a matter of fact. So, um, and of course, we had an, an exchange program with McAllister College from Minnesota. Awesome. So go right ahead. I'm enjoying this interview. Yes, I was going to ask you, in your segregated schools and your upbringing, right. do you feel that it gave you the foundation you needed to, and the confidence you needed to um, step out and say, hey, you know, I want to do something for my country. I want to do something for my city. I want to do something for my state. Well, I, I was going to step out whether it gave me a background or not. I guess that was just, uh, that's just the way I am. And I had to be taught by my father, uh, to, uh, to get involved and, and, and just, uh, uh, strive for Whatever you want to be, you can be what you want to be, and you can do what you want to do, and you can serve mankind. So that was my upbringing. But uh, let me just tell you, I got a good, solid education in those segregated schools. Obviously, we didn't have all of the resources that the large and integrated uh, schools had. But those teachers did a good job with me and others. Uh, and so uh, our schools may have been... Um, uh, underfinanced and small and segregated, but still we rise. And, Amen. Uh, we, yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, uh, yeah. So we said it prepared, prepared me for the world, and I had my own initiative. You know, I've always had <clears throat> been faced, excuse me, faced with with racism. For example, I went to Knoxville College. Uh, we did not have the ROTC, but having grown up in Tuskegee, listening to the sounds of the airplanes flying over the, the home of the flying, fighting Tuskegee Airmen, I always wanted to become a Tuskegee Airman, a pilot. So wow. we did not have ROTC at my college. So mm-hmm. three of us wanted to join the U.S. Air Force, and some brothers were hiding from the draft. Uh, but instead of running away, I volunteered. I wanted to become a a Tuskegee Airman. 
I wanted to become a pilot, so we drove 200 miles to the Air Force Base, passed the test to become second lieutenant in the United States Air Force, uh, took care of all of the tests passed. The only thing we had to do was turn in our dental records. I paid a white dentist the money to, uh, to turn in my, my dental work a report. I gave him the uh, sealed envelope. All he had to do was to send it in so that I could become a second lieutenant. And uh, I was off to New York during that period and thought he had taken care of it. And because of racism, did you, you know that white dentist did not turn in my record. And that's why I was not able to go to the United States Air Force and become a second lieutenant. Uh, and become a pilot in the Air Force. But I didn't let that stop me. I know how the Tuskegee Airmen must have felt. Many of them who tried to become Tuskegee Airmen due to racism did not have a chance to fly and fight for their country. But I didn't let that stop me. I came in later, once I became mayor of Tuskegee, Chief Anderson, who trained the Tuskegee Airmen, said to me, he said, you can't be mayor of Tuskegee, Alabama, the home of Moton Field the birthplace of the flying, fighting Tuskegee Airmen, and not fly. And so I'm going to give you one month. And sure enough, after one month of training, I took my solo flight in October of 1974, uh, solo flight before 8,000 people who witnessed me landing a plane at Bowden Field for my first flight and. That's how I became a pilot. I still uh, learned to fly. Okay? And wow. When there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> yes. With the racism of the times and you becoming mayor and then later the Senate, what were some of the house. obstacles? Yeah, or the House, rather. What were some of the um, obstacles for legislators trying to get things done in that time? Well, first of all, the, the biggest challenge was getting elected. So uh, uh, I was elected to the Alabama legislature in 1998, um, becoming the first uh, person born. I was actually born in beautiful Bullock County, uh, raised in magnificent Macon County, and educated in lovely Lee County at Auburn University, but I was elected to the Alabama legislature, and um, one of the uh, greatest challenges was uh, you needed enough votes to get anything passed. As a matter of fact, I never will forget, uh, I had some difficulties getting things passed, so I built a bridge uh, and a relationship with Republicans uh, in order to get legislation passed. As a matter of fact, the governor at that time, uh, Bob Riley, said, hey, man, listen, if you join the Republican Party, I'll help you uh, get some things done over here in, in Macon County. I said, are you sure? And so I switched to the Republican Party, and as a result of that switch, I was able to get some things done. For example, uh, the billion-dollar gaming industry in bingo that we have in Alabama uh, is a result of my bill that I passed, and I got it passed with one Republican vote uh, to pass it. It became the first bingo, electronic bingo bill 
in the history of Alabama. Now, bingo and gaming in Alabama is a billion-dollar industry. Primarily, the Native Americans are the ones who are making uh, most of the money. But but I was able to get that bill, and, of course, I have gaming in my county, Victory Land, as a result of that. Secondly, I was able to get uh, help us get the $35 million we needed to build a National Historic site for the Tuskegee Airmen. Here again, uh, the Republican administration and being able to work from that power base. I was able to get also the first uh, South Korean Hyundai plant, which now employs 700 people here in my county, uh, passed uh, as a result, <coughs> excuse me, as a result of of being within the Republican Party, I was able to get that passed. And so, uh, in addition to that, I was able to get a cr increased funding for Tuskegee University, uh, and also to get Tuskegee University declared as a state-related university, no longer needing to get a supermajority of votes just to get their annual appropriation. So all of these things we were able to get accomplished uh, in the Republican Party. And once I got them accomplished, I switched back to the Democratic Party and was warmly welcomed back into the Democratic Party because uh, I explained before I left the party what I was doing, what my motive was, and, of course, uh, everyone agreed. The whole idea, the thing that I'm stressing here is you have to be politically mature. You have to be able to work both sides of the issues. White folks switch parties all the time in order to, to get things accomplished for their constituency. I switched in order uh, to be able to get things done for my people, and I got them done. And then once I got them done, I switched back uh, to the Democratic Party. So now I'm a Democrat again and uh, getting ready to, uh, to run for the legis <clears throat> legislature again. So the point I'm stressing here is, in politics, there's an old saying, I have no permanent friends and no permanent enemies, just permanent interest. And that permanent interest is whatever is in the best permanent interest of my people. I do what I need to do in politics to help my people. Instead of letting the political system use me, I use the political system to help my people. When it comes to politics, I'm very mature. Some people are very emotional when it comes to politics and saying, oh, I'm a Democrat for life or I'm a Republican for life. No, no. I'm flexible when it comes to party. Uh, what I am committed to is ideals. I'm committed to goals. I'm committed to getting something done. And I'm committed to helping my people. And I'm committed to using the political process just like Booker T. Washington did to help my people. And so you want to know what some of the obstacles were. When you have obstacles, you find a way to go around them. When I couldn't get enough votes as a as a as a as a Democrat, I switched and became a Republican, and I was able to get the votes I needed because then I was able to get both Democratic votes and Republican votes enough to get those things done that I talked about. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, it is a workable thing. You have to be able to work. And I wanted to ask, with that, we're still fighting for 
human rights, voting rights, health care rights, all these different rights. But let's start with voting rights, because you came in uh, to public service at a time when we had just again gotten the legislation in 65 for voting rights. What are your opinions on what has happened to our rights? Well, as you know, the Republicans are doing everything that they can to wipe out our voting rights and to weaken uh, our opportunities to vote. I mean, these state uh, legislative efforts being taken by the Republicans in these states are designed to to weaken the black vote. That's what it's all about. And and uh I didn't get a chance to fight in the in the Vietnam War, but I did get a chance to fight uh in the in the civil rights war in Alabama by uh, serving as the first state supervisor of the United States Department of Justice Community Relations Service, and uh, it was that war that helped us uh, to get the Voting Rights Act passed in 1965, and then in 1971, when I was elected, uh, when I was appointed by the Attorney General of the United States uh, to um, become the state supervisor for Alabama for the Justice Department, we fought hard to make excuse me, to make sure that the Voting Rights Act was carried out and to also make sure that the Civil Rights Act was carried out in Alabama. We uh, were threatened and uh, all the other things we had to do to go through uh, in desegregating Alabama, enforcing the Voting Rights Act, and enforcing the Civil Rights Act, uh, the Fair Housing Act, and all of these legislative milestone. It was our role to to make sure that they were implemented in places like Alabama and Mississippi and throughout the South. So I am proud to have been able to survive uh, that civil rights war. And uh, today, our voting rights are being seized upon again, and we must continue to fight. My good friend John Lewis, as I told you, John Lewis and I, we were together with with Bobby Kennedy in California when he was killed. So John Lewis believed in getting into good trouble, and we've got to continue to get into good trouble and continue to fight until we restore the Voting Rights Act to its full, powerful, uh, original status. That's what we must fight for, okay? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, if it does pass on the national um, side, if it does pass, if the John Lewis bill passes, what happens to the state laws that have cropped up, I believe, in about 40 or more states now? Well, as you know, uh, yeah, well, um, uh, national legislation always trumps state legislation, you know, so the point is we, we, we need this national legislation and we cannot give up now. We must support our leaders in Congress uh, to make sure that we do get this John Lewis voting rights uh, bill into law. That's what we are going to continue to 
push for and support. I'm proud of my Congress lady, Congresswoman Terry Sewell from Selma, Alabama. She's working hard along with the members of the Congressional Black Caucus and others uh, to get something done. So uh, the, the, the struggle goes on. Your question is what will happen to the, the state laws as well? If we get the national laws passed, then uh, the state laws will have to yield to the national law. Okay? Yeah, we're hoping. Yeah, because a lot of the interesting things, including not being able to give a uh, a voter water if they're standing in line, and, and just a lot of things that just uh, it's just speechless when you hear about them are going on right now. And um, we just um, are going into uh, 2022 and 2024. But before we leave this interview, I wanted to ask you something. We met when I was doing um, H.R. 676, which is still a bill in Congress, for universal health care. And they have yet to fully um, revamp Obamacare, which is a good help, but it, it still needs a little bit of help. We have um, now a pandemic, and with this pandemic and with COVID, you have long-term side effects. Do you ever see that uh, we will have a better health care bill that includes everyone uh, from cradle to grave? Well, first of all, let's again thank President Obama for his leadership. Uh, first of all, I guess we need to thank Hillary Clinton because she tried to get get this done uh, when uh, President Clinton was in office, and uh, uh, he had asked her to provide leadership on health care, uh, the health care initiative. But President Obama got it done, but he couldn't have got it done uh, if he had not called upon those of us uh, who were uh, his foot soldiers. At that time, I chaired the National Policy Alliance and still do. And President Obama asked us to meet with him twice. We sat across the table at the White House. The National Policy Alliance, which is made up of uh, the National Black uh, Public Policy Organizations, which are as follows, the Congressional Black Caucus, the National Black Caucus of State Legislators, the National Black Caucus, of local election officials, the National Black Caucus uh, of, of county officials, the National Black Caucus of school board members, the National Bar Association and the Judicial Council, Blacks in Government, and the World Conference of Mayors. Uh, we all met, and he said to those of us who headed those national black public organizations, the president said to us, we need you to use your network to gain the support we need to get this Affordable Care Act, uh, to, to, to push it and uh, get it passed in Congress. And uh, we need a grassroots effort, an organized effort. And we did that. We went out, we went back to our respective organizations, and we gave our support. And so the Affordable Care Act, uh, Obamacare, whatever you want to call it, has helped to save many lives and has helped to make affordable and accessible health care available to million, uh, millions of Americans. But still, it's not adequate. And the quest goes on. For example, I was put in jail along with others uh, protesting uh, to, for the expansion of Medicaid in the state of Alabama. We rode it on the street, 
expand Black Lives, expand Medicaid now, and we were arrested like John Lewis. We got into good trouble, of course, but the point is that struggle goes on. I co-chair the the Health Committee in Alabama, uh, Save Ourselves Committee, and I also uh, served as a national chair of the board of the National Black Leadership Commission on Health. So they, they are those of us who are still fighting for quality health care, affordable and accessible health care, and we shall not stop until we get it done. So your point is, uh, do we need a better health care system? The question is yes. Uh, we must conquer COVID and, the, and other diseases which, which still affect the lives of so many of our people. But we we shall overcome, and we shall not give up until we get it done. Okay. Amen. Lastly, what's next for Johnny Ford? Well, you know, I've got work to do. I'm trying to. We've got a Confederate statue still standing in the town square in Tuskegee, Alabama. Um, I'm a member of our city council now because we've changed the form of government where uh, the mayor's position is. Um, uh, uh administrative primarily it is the city council that have the buck stops with the city council in my form of government so i'm a member i moved up to the city council because that gives me a chance to take care of my district stay involved and also be involved in national and international efforts i'm happy to be uh be uh the founder of the World Conference of Mayors. I'm happy to be the founding president of the Nat of the Historic Black Towns and Settlements Alliance. This is an organization that represents hundreds of historic black towns and settlements out across America. Many of those were inspired by Booker T. Washington. So I'll continue to work uh as a part of that of these two networks, the World Conference of Mayors and the Historic Black Towns and Settlements Alliance. Uh so I'm uh I've got a lot still ahead to do. I there's an old saying, I ain't no way tired. Uh <laughs> I've got one more river to cross and uh uh we have one more river to cross until we get Medicaid expanded in the state of Alabama. We've got one more river to cross until we get the Build Back Better America legislation passed, which will support President Biden, my good friend, and I'm uh, pleased to have been a delegate for Biden and uh, still support his administration wholeheartedly. So we've got uh, one more river to cross until we get the voting rights bill uh championed by John Lewis and now uh championed by uh the Honorable Terry Sewell. We've got one more river to cross until we get all of these things done and uh we can't be no ways tired. We can't let nobody turn us around. We gotta keep on pushing and we can't look back now. And so we have only just begun. Uh, in the words of Frost, the woods are lovely, dark, and deep. But all we have promises to keep and miles to go before we sleep. 
and miles to go before we sleep. 